And if you have your Bibles this morning, if you'd be opening them with me to the book of Acts in the 17th chapter, Acts chapter number 17. Last week we began preaching a message out of this passage in the Bible where the Apostle Paul had been carried by sea over to a place in Greece called Athens to a place called Mars Hill. And he was taken to basically where (laughs) it started again, started over. Uh, He was taken to a place called Oropagus, which was basically the seat of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court there uh, in this place was a place where people would meet and they would listen to some new thing. And Paul had brought some doctrines that uh, were certainly uh, new things to these that had gathered there in Greece. Last week we learned how that Paul's spirit was stirred within him. He was stirred by what he saw. He was stirred by what he heard. He was stirred by the things that were taking place. The Bible says in verse number 16 of Acts 17, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now several things it says after this, but we're going to try to get into the sermon that Paul preached here at Mars Hill. The Bible says in verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath appointed, or excuse me, hath determined the times before appointed, And the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead." Let's bow for a word of prayer as we get into this sermon once again. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. Lord, I thank you for all those who've gathered out this way today. And Lord, we know that you are honored amongst your people. I thank you, Lord, for being here with us today. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless the preaching of thy word. I pray that you'd protect me from saying things I shouldn't. And I pray, Lord, that you'd use the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, Uh, to be acceptable to you today, and Lord, I pray that they'd be understandable to the hearer. And I pray and I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. By way of review, 
the Apostle Paul is traveling from city to city, undergoing attacks. Everywhere he went, people were attacking him. The Jews were following him around. In this particular case, he had left, a, he had left by boat and went over to Greece. And he is here uh, on this missionary journey, and he's here alone, and he's waiting for his compadres to come and, and be with them at this time. We learned how that everywhere God's people go and they preach the gospel, there is opposition. However, every time there's opposition, we find that there's people getting saved. We should never put our focus on the opposition. You know, some pastors make a bad mistake when they come to the pulpit every week and they start focusing on everyone who's died, everyone who's sick, Everyone who's going through a hard time, as opposed to coming to the church and focusing on who is here and saying, let's get together and let us worship God. Our God is good. Our God is a good God. Our God is a wonderful God. We should not focus on the opposition, though it will be here. We ought to give our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gave his attention here. He did allow things to stir him in the spirit, but he used that as an opportunity, an opportunity to share the truth. Now, a little bit of what took place in this passage, notice in verse number 18, where the Bible says that certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. Now, neither of these two groups of people believed in the resurrection, but notice how they referred to Paul. In verse number 18, what will this babbler say? They called, they called Paul a babbler. If you study this word babbler, it basically means that he was a, a collector of seeds. It's the name of a small bird that lives by picking up seeds on the side of the road. This was an epithet that was common to the time in these philosophers. It would, it would basically be a statement that you would, you would say, this man is parroting the ideas of somebody else. He's picked up a seed from along the side of the road, and he's just saying something that he heard from someone else. You know, I, I hear a lot of that. I used to hear a lot of that when I went to the jails every week. <laughs> I went to the jails every week by choice. I was thankful that I got to go and come as I pleased. I would go there and we would, I remember the first jail I went to in Indiana and I went with a Cuban guy who had floated over here for, for his freedom, spent 16 months in Guantanamo Bay. And he, and he came, he picked up the phone at the Switzerland County Jail and he says, we are here to preach the gospel. <laughs> I said, amen, that's what we're going to do today. We're here to preach the gospel. And I'd go in there and preach and almost every time that I would get to preach and people would get to share their thoughts from jail is we heard that that's just the book that some man wrote, that some men wrote. It's a, it's a, it's a book of fairy tales. I have something to say to you. This is God's word. This is a holy book. This is God's word to man. If you want to learn about God, you're going to learn from this book. doesn't matter what I say about this book. This book is true. Thy word is truth. God gave us this book. I thank God for this book. It's a blessed old book. And, and in spite of the fact that Paul was called a babbler, he didn't take that to heart. This was a, this was an, a term that was, it basically is basically calling, calling Paul, you know, you're nothing but a bird gathering seeds on the side of the road. Isn't it something how that many, many myriads of people were saved by the, by the, by the preaching? Through the preaching of the Apostle Paul, how God had used the Apostle Paul 
And yet he shows up in this town and the first thing he hears is that he's nothing but a babbler. I want to say this before I go on. I thank God for every man who's ever preached the word of God to me. I was thinking this morning as we were praying, we we meet for prayer every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock with some of the men in the church. I bowed my knee to the Lord. Started remembering the blessings that happened to me. The things I was born with. You know, I, I didn't have to unlearn anything. I was born to a family where this book was all over my house. It was on every coffee table. It was on every bookshelf. We carried it to church. My parents taught me to carry my Bible to church. I had that going for me. I had a good dad. God had saved my dad before I came into this world. And when I was about five years of age, my pastor, Paul McWhorter, came walking into that church. The church had called him to be the preacher there. It was a good church. They, they, they called my pastor to be their pastor even though he got arrested on his way up to the church. You say, that can't be true. Oh, yes, it's true. He was driving from Kentucky to Michigan, and he got pulled over. And when he got pulled over, he was opening up his glove box to get the insurance out. And you know how folks in Kentucky are. It's legal to bear arms. And when he got pulled over, he said the next thing he heard was someone unholster his weapon, and he was shaking. <laughs> and then Brother McWhorter had to call the, the deacon at the church who had called him to come and say, you've got to come bail me out of jail. And the church still called him. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I want to tell you something about Brother McWhorter. He'll be here for our, our, my pastor, the one that me and my wife were saved under, is coming to our meeting next month. You may see me shed a tear when I announce him to preach. You may see me weeping in a, in a pew when I hear him preach. Because it's going to bring me back to the days of my childhood when God began to work the issues of salvation into my soul. God used that man's voice to influence me. It was more than just a babbler. That was my pastor. Now people may not like preaching these days. And may they, they may throw down on old-fashioned church assemblies. And they may like to go to some of these newfangled churches where you'll rarely ever get a preaching sermon. But I'm here to tell you preaching was good enough to get me into the faith and preaching still good enough to get other people into faith. God still uses the preaching of his word to call people to salvation. And we're not going to stop preaching in this church. They may stop preaching down the street. They may call somebody in there to give a couple stories and make you feel good coming out. But I'm here to tell you the Holy Spirit of God comes and convicts the hearts of people who hear preaching. And I thank God for the preachers. I thank God that Paul wasn't just a babbler. This was a man who was willing to be beaten and thrown into jail and still come back out preaching about Jesus. He was stoned and left for dead, and yet he still came out and went on more missionary journeys. I'm thankful for what God's people can learn from this passage. Number one, God's people should be prepared for ridicule. Where are we ridiculed today? Where do people ridicule people who believe in the Bible? I still believe in Genesis 1.1. That's the first book of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the world. We are ridiculed by people who believe in the Big Bang Theory. We're ridiculed by people who have degrees on their wall, and they learned better than that. I want to say this. Those with the degree on their wall weren't there when the world was created, and neither were the ones who taught them. But I know the one who was there at the beginning, and his name is God. 
God created the heavens and the earth, educated people, philosophers, people who come from a different perspective, often ridicule those who are people of faith. Young people, if you're in a public school today, you are not in a conducive environment for faith as far as you're going to be attacked for your faith, but you should be able to stand up for your faith even in a public school. Wait till you get into college. If you go to a secular university, you are going to be confronted with a sarcastic view of a God that created this world. And many of those people, they have... the their view of creation is so skewed because they're, I want to tell you something about these college professors. They've read this book. They know what this Bible says. And many of them know exactly what it says and they've rejected that because they saw something they didn't like and they said, well, we're not going to believe that because then we'd have to change our ways. I want to tell you something. This book is a book that's worthy of you changing your ways for it. If the Bible says it, that should settle it. We ought, to, we ought to conform our lives to this book, and God will help you as you do that. But you can expect ridicule. When some people hear the truths of the Bible, they reject them because they hold to a different value system. One day, secrets are going to be exposed at the judgment. I heard one college professor say it this way. Having read the scripture, he made a plain statement as to why he rejected the Bible. He rejected the Bible because the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin, and he refused to believe that. And so he put the book to the side. That's going to come up before the judgment. And then some of those professors will take that and they'll try to sway other people to believe something different. I'm here to tell you, you'll never hear anybody from this pulpit tell you that the world was created in a different way than what God says it was created. He created you with a purpose, young person. He did for you as well, even if you're older. You may ridicule these truths, and they ridiculed these truths in Bible times, but they're still worthy to be preached. No matter how dark the world gets, God's people are called to be the light. We we talked about this last week, how Paul, when he preached, he started in verse 24. He talked about the unknown God. Now, at this particular time period, there was a lot of uh, idolatry that was in this city. I was reading some... Uh, some things this week about this particular time period in Greece. One of the ancient writers tells us that at this time there were 30,000 small g gods in, Gre- in Athens. Many of, these were, many of these statues have survived and you can even find copies of them everywhere as samples of ancient art. One ancient writer by the name of Petronius said this about Greece. Our region is so full of deities that you may more frequently meet with a God than with a man, a small g God. So Paul was preaching in the midst of a bunch of people who went to these deities, these statues, and they were praying to these statues. So Paul uses these things and said, hey, I saw one of your inscriptions, this devotion that was made to the unknown God. I'm going to declare him unto you. And he begins with the truths of creation in verse number 24. God that made the world and all things therein. Now, God did make the world and all things therein. Several points that we want to point out about what Paul said during his sermon. Number one, God made the world and all the things therein. When you see the stars in the sky, it didn't happen from an explosion. It happened because God put them there. When you see this world and when you see pictures of this world, and I'm not one of these people that believes that the the earth is flat, you know, I do believe that people did go up into space and that we have pictures from outer space. If you use a TomTom or a GPS, please don't tell me the earth is flat. That's where those satellites are. And those satellites can look down on this world, and the Bible talks about this, he that setteth upon the circle of the earth. It says that in the Bible, in an ancient book. 
The earth, the world is a circle. God made this world and God made all the planets. God made the, the atmosphere and the air. God made everything. He even made people. The Bible says that he made people male and female in the book of Genesis in the first chapter. It also says this about God, that he doesn't dwell in temples made with man's hands. This is a church building that is called, this is not, this is not the church, if you will. Many people, when they think of the word church, they think of a building. The church is an assembly. It's people. If this building burned to the ground and we met in the parking lot today, and we could, it'd still be church. It was just as much music that honored the Lord when I was singing it without the music playing over the speakers as it was when it was playing. Listen, this, the church is an assembly of called out believers who've been scripturally baptized and we're, we organize together to carry out what the Lord's commands are. God doesn't dwell in temples that are made with man's hands. This goes completely against what these people believed. He also says this, he doesn't need anything from man. You ever thought about that, that God is self-sustaining and he doesn't need you to give him anything? You know, God doesn't become any more God if you give to him. He doesn't become any less God if you give to him. You don't make him a greater God if you, if you give God what belongs to him or you don't. God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, and God doesn't need anything from us to sustain his existence. God exists independent of us. Now, we need things. There's certain things that we need. You say, well, I don't need anything. You're going to need some, some, some breath, some air. And if you don't get that long enough, you're going to realize you needed breath. Every breath you take is a gift from God, and even Paul pointed that out. And here, God gives to all life and breath. You're breathing because of the grace of God. God is self-sustaining. He's God whether you worship him or you don't. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He gives all life and breath and all things. And then he even goes into quoting, quoting ancient poets who were revered by this crowd. The Bible says this in verse number 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. If you study this time period and the poets that Paul is quoting from, most agree that it is Eratus's writings in his poem called Phenomena uh, that, that, it, that Paul is quoting from. There's also another chief poet at this time called Cleanthus who wrote the same thing, that we are the offspring of God. He was taking writings of their own secular poets and he was using them he was using them to speak to them and try to engage what they believed about God. Now he really gets down to preaching in verse number 30. Where he said that there were times of this ignorance where people were worshipping statues or images that God winked at or God passed over. God looked over that. He's basically saying God looks over the fact that you guys have idols all over your city And now he's commanding all men everywhere to repent. To turn from what they believe and turn to God. Turn from their own, say, false religion. You know, if if I take this piano, this piano no doubt has some kind of a wood veneer underneath it. And and, and I take a piece of this piece of wood and I take a, 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 a knife and I start to carve images out of that. And then I make some kind of an image. It wouldn't be very good because I'm not a very good woodworker. But some people who are talented with their hands could make an image based out of that wood and then they would bow and pray to that statue. 
In fact, they would even melt gold and overlay a wooden statue with gold. And the Bible speaks of how foolish that is to make something with your hands and then bow and pray to it. And God, Paul is saying God winked at this ignorance before and now is commanding all men everywhere to repent, to turn from false religion. Notice in verse number 31, here's a reason to repent. First, judgment day is coming. Because he hath appointed a day in which into which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man which he hath ordained. He's talking about Jesus Christ. There is coming a judgment day. We all have a death day coming. Tomorrow we'll be doing a memorial service for a former member of our church named Ray Morris. She left behind a wonderful testimony, a testimony of salvation, a testimony of visiting the saints when they were sick, a testimony of being faithful to visitation, a godly woman. God gave her a good testimony, but she's gone. She died. She breathed her last breath. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men, once to die. Don't stop there. After this, the judgment. You shouldn't, you shouldn't run from the truth about the judgment. The, the judgment is real. Just as sure as you're sitting here today, you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life one day. And Paul is telling these folks, this is why you need to repent, because judgment day is coming. There's coming a judgment day. He's appointed a day, and it's a fearful day. It's, it's a coming day. The Bible talks about this day when he judges the world in righteousness in the book of Revelation chapter number 20. If you want to flip your Bible to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter number 20. In Revelation chapter number 20, it talks about this fateful day and a fearful day. When the books, of, when the books are opened and men are going to be judged out of the things which were written in the books... But notice in Revelation chapter number 20 and verse 11, speaking of the great white throne judgment. He says, and I saw a great white throne, Revelation 20 and verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. There was no place to run. There was no place to hide. There was no way to get away from the judgment. The Bible speaks of the judgment that took place in verse 12. Didn't matter how small they were. Didn't matter how great they were. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. Notice, according to their works. I want to tell you something. It's a fearful thing. To have someone in heaven keeping a record of everything you've ever done in life. Every thought you've ever thought in life. Everything you've ever put your hand to do in life. And you're going to be judged out of those, out of those books. You know, some of us, have you ever met somebody that liked to rewrite history? They like to remember an incident that took place with them in a little more favorable of a light. But God knows all the secrets of men's hearts. It's a fearful day. I wouldn't want all the secrets of my heart exposed during this day of judgment. And praise the Lord for those that are saved. You won't be at this judgment. At least not on that side of the throne where you're being judged. If you're saved, you know where your sins got judged? They got judged on Calvary. But if you're lost, you're going to give an account for everything that you've ever done. If you don't receive Christ... Everything that's ever been done, you're going to be judged according, verse number 12 at the end of the verse, according to their works. You can't run from the Lord. 
I've met people who thought that being cremated after they died would save them from the judgment because God can't find me. God can find you no matter what kind of, what kind of things happen to your body. He'll find you. You're going to be there. You will not escape this judgment. It's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. These verses tell us about the judgment. But back in Acts chapter number 17, the apostle Paul is preaching to these folks and he says there is coming a judgment day. I want to tell you something too. If there's a judgment day, and we know there is, and you're feeling like, hey, there's something that I need to do to prepare for the judgment day, I want to say that's a good thing. It's a good thing to prepare for the judgment day. To see and make sure that your sins are forgiven. I believe in a no-so salvation. I believe that God will save all who come to Him in faith. I believe that God doesn't reject repentant sinners. And when you bow before the Lord and you ask Christ to forgive you of sal- for, for sin and you believe in Him to save you through what He did on Calvary's cross, the Bible says you can know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. And then you'll be ready for the judgment day. The Bible says He's appointed... In in verse 31 of Acts 17, he's appointed a day in in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Now, there's many things that we could say about Christ and what the resurrection shows us. And we're probably going to get into that a little bit next week. I can tell you this, in short. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves to us that there is life beyond the grave. When you die, you're going to be alive somewhere. And all I want to do is echo the words of Jesus Christ from John chapter 3. If you want to go to heaven when you die, if you want to have a place and a home in heaven with Jesus Christ, Jesus said, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, that's water birth, physical birth, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven, can't enter into the kingdom of God. The Bible says ye must be born again. You have to have a second birth. All of you have been born physically, but there's no doubt, sitting before me, there are people who've never been born again spiritually. That takes place when a man, of his own free volition, I can't choose for my children to be saved. I'm sure you've heard old preachers, if you've been around Baptist churches for very long, they'll preach things like, God has no grandchildren. That means just because mom or dad is saved doesn't mean you're saved. You've got to come to the Lord yourself. You have to believe for yourself. I can't choose for my children to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I could sure introduce them to Jesus Christ, who is my Savior. I want all of my children to be saved. I want them to know the Lord is their Savior, but they have to come to that on their own. The resurrection shows us that there's life beyond the grave. He talks about this resurrection here. Whereof he, at the end of verse 31, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. I believe in a literal, bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That same body that he had when he was on this earth, we're going to see the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. The Bible even says that in the book of Revelation, that we're going to see the hands of him who was scarred. I believe he physically rose from the dead. That's the part of the gospel. First Corinthians 15 and verses 3 and 4 talks about Christ dying for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Everything the Bible says about the resurrection, it took place. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now notice the reaction here. 
verse number 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. There's always going to be those who will mock at the truth. Young people, when people mock your faith, remember, other people mocked Jesus Christ. They mocked the Apostle Paul. They're going to mock this preacher. They're going to mock anybody who believes God's word. They're going to mock. Some mocked, but the Bible says another group of people in verse 32 said, we will hear thee again on this matter. I'll listen to that again. Some people, when they hear preaching, they're drawn to come back. I remember listening to an old preacher named Aubrey Brown, a good friend of mine, and he, he had gone to church one Sunday morning. As, he only came because his wife brought him to church, and he was, he was under conviction when he left it, and he, he thought, you know, I'm going to go back and hear that guy again tonight. Who do you think drew him to come back to hear him again? It was the Lord doing a work in Brother Aubrey's heart. In verse number 32, it talks about these who said, we're going to hear you again on this matter. The Bible says in verse number 34, how be it certain men clave unto him, talking about they they wanted to stick with Paul and they believed what Paul preached in verse 34. Among the which was Dionysius, the, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. You know, These three groups of people are always going to be there. Those who mock, those who say, I'll hear you again, and those who say, I believe. Now, I pray today that if there's somebody in this church house today, you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you'll be in that latter group. That today would be your day of salvation. When I was growing up in church, most of the men who would pray would say something very similar. They pray, Lord, if there's anybody here who's lost, I'm praying that they'll be saved before it's eternally too late. Yes, sir. That same prayer is prayed today yes. by many men. If you've come and you're visiting this church and you know that you're lost, that you're unsaved, and you start sensing in your heart that the Lord's drawing you to salvation, don't turn the Lord away. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to save sinners. And can I say this to you today, friend? If there's anybody in this church that would say, well, I wonder what people would think of me if I came forward during the invitation. I want to tell you that there's a large group of people in this church who would be rejoicing if they see someone walk the aisle to get saved. It's a blessing when people get saved by God's grace. Oh, that God would take the message from His Word. He'll work it into your heart. And if He's drawing you today, just come. Just come believing. It's a simple act of faith to be saved. First of all, you have to acknowledge that you're lost. I'm lost. We sing it at Amazing Grace. I once was lost. I was lost one time. I remember when I knew I was lost. I'm not saved. I also want to say this. I knew knew who the answer was. The answer was Jesus. He was the only way that I could go to heaven. Lord. That was one of my confessions that I made as I trusted Christ. Lord, I know that you're the only way. I can't be saved from anybody else but you. Not my parents, not my grandparents, not the government, not anything. Nobody can save me except for Jesus. Nobody can forgive your sins except for Jesus. There could be somebody saved, but I'm on the church membership roll. You need to get saved before it's too late. Don't you let you, your church membership or having to humble yourself in front of other people keep you away from heaven. Nothing's worth your eternity. You say, but I've been a member of this church for 20 years. If you know you're lost, you need to get saved. If you know you're lost, you need to come to Christ. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.
We've tried to preach what God has put on our hearts today. We're going to prepare to have a verse of invitation. It's a time that's been separated so that people could respond if God's spoken to their hearts. You may have come to church with a heavy heart today. There's something going on in your life and you need to come and use the altar. I want you to feel free to come and bow before the Lord and nobody will bother you if you come. You can pray to the Lord alone. There could be somebody here today and you need help. You need to get saved. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If if you want to come down to this old-fashioned altar and bow the knee before the Lord, this altar is open. As Brother John sings this first verse, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, won't you come? If you're not saved, won't you come? Some need to pray about something else. The altar is open. Won't you come? writer had it right he said Lord don't call on other people and not call on me you're calling on others if you're lost today I want to tell you you're in a company of people today who we're saved now but we there was that day where we were lost thank God that he saved our souls although we'd have people that would say pass me not you're calling on others Lord call on me if the Lord called you today He's working in your heart and your life today. Just be obedient to Him. Just come. Let God have His way in your heart as we sing verse number two. Let's sing. Let me at a throne of mercy find a sweet relief kneeling there in deep contrition sing another verse.
God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord for his goodness. Appreciate you coming to church today. Uh, Brief announcements. There's going to be a fall fun day meeting after tonight's service. We have a 6 p.m. service tonight. We're going to have a fall fun day meeting here in the front where we're going to brainstorm on where to put some things and figure out where we're going to plug in the inflatables. And so please meet with me and my wife down here at the front of the service uh, tonight at our 6 p.m. service. 445 choir practice is tonight. If you signed up to bring ingredients for the ladies' retreat, please bring them on Wednesday. Also, baskets may be brought on Monday, Wednesday, or Thursday. And ladies who would like to decorate for this Saturday, uh, my wife's going to be here at 6.30 p.m. tomorrow and also at 6 p.m. on Thursday if you want to participate in decorating, which is very important to our ladies. Decorating. You know, guys don't need a whole lot. Just put food on the table. But ladies must decorate. And uh, I do appreciate all the ladies who have a part in decorating. I think it's very important. By the way, there's a lot about the spirit of a church that you can see in how the ladies decorate. And uh, I'm thankful uh, for ladies that bring color and excitement to the church. I only got one amen out of that. Good job, Brother Allen. Score one for the good guys. Brother Alan Webster, why don't you come up here to the pulpit? I'm very thankful for Brother Alan. Um, very faithful to our prayer meetings. He's a, our men's prayer breakfast cook. He cooks uh, for a lot of our, our activities. He and Miss Carol Ann are very important uh, to this assembly. And uh, I know that they desire your prayers, but we're very thankful for you. Brother Alan, you come and you dismiss the service in prayer. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We humble our hearts to where we can take heed to the message we just heard. Bring it to life in our hearts that may we love one another as God loved us. We just thank you again for this service that we had in the church that we are assembled with. And I I just thank you so much for sending us this preacher. We ask you to be with everyone and uh, as we go home, bring us back again tonight. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.